Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. It seems like we were just talking to you guys a couple minutes ago. I am Brian, with me as always are Vince and Zach. We're going to talk about the DC Comics released on August 7th, 2019. And uh, we're going to start with uh, Batman number 76. The big, the it's, I guess it's the second issue of the City of Bane uh, story. This is, of course, written by Tom King, illustrated by Tony Daniel. Zach... You had said something to us before we recorded where you said that this week's books were all very good. So I'm going to see how early that opinion begins and ask you what you think about Batman. Why would you do that? Um, so this issue... Uh, it wasn't the worst issue. I, I really, like... Come, I'm... Uh, I don't have anything bad to say about it, honestly. Um, I, that makes the goodwill one of I us. Have, well, the goodwill <laughs> I have for this arc that, you know, I expressed with the last issue continues on. I don't I don't think this issue was as in, as interesting as as the first issue in this arc, but um, I, I thought that this was fine. Vinci? Um... I have a I have a few negative things to say about it, but I, I I still think, I still think this arc is, head and shoulders above most of Tom King's runs so far. Uh, I think. Do you want me to get specific? Yeah, go for it because I have a few thoughts on this too. Okay, I think Gotham Girl, uh, still fairly annoying with the dialogue, although although, I did get a genuine laugh out of her calling Captain Adam General Glory and Major Force just because of the DC I, characters connected with those names. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Like General Glory. I, I forgot about him. The captain. I had to look it up to, to know exactly which one it was. And he's like the Captain America knockoff from the JLI. See, I wish she and, said Agent Liberty because that was like <laughs> a that was a Jurgens character. And I feel like Captain Adam and Jurgens are peanut butter and jelly. So that would have been a, uh, a oh, good nice. pull too. But, you know, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and then Major Force is actually a Captain Adam villain, which which I knew because of the more recent. I believe he was a villain in like the New Fifty Two Captain Adam stuff. Um, sure, but sure, why not? Yeah, but 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 that yeah, that was actually kind of funny, um, just because of the reference. Um, an, a, another thing I didn't like that. The, the Damien and Tim stuff wavered on, again, like Tom King not being able to write the younger people in the DC. I mean, I'm of the opinion that he doesn't write almost anyone very well, but, but you know, objectively bad, I think, is the Damien and Tim stuff. I know Damien has a, has a harsher past and has killed in the past, but aren't we to the point with him again where, like, at one point, he says uh, he doesn't care if Gotham Girl overworks her powers and dies. It, that that, that well, seemed out of character. That seemed out of character because even though, like, in the past he has killed, that's in the past. And I, I think, like, we need to stop doing this thing in comics where that was a Damien character trait. So certain writers, if they're not careful, are going to continue to use that even though he's ostensibly past it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, but then even worse, even more egregious than that, 
is when they said that they're going to kill Alfred if the Bat family shows up in town, and Damien says, that's not my problem. Yeah, that's totally incongruous that, with who Damien is. Yeah, what? that's yeah. too much. There's, I, there's not a character in the DCU, not a hero in the DCU that would say that about Alfred, much less uh, his de facto grandson. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I could write off the Gotham Girl stuff if King were working off the angle that, you know, despite his upbringing and everything like Damien is still a child and in that situation where you know he's been like ripped from his home his father may be dead his grandfather essentially is in prison you know he's probably not going to be acting rationally yeah and and that would actually be an interesting angle because Damien is often kind of just portrayed as this um you know, Wonderkind, who is, you know, ha- has the, I guess, like emotional development of, of someone well beyond his years. And, and to portray him more as like the child that he is would actually be an interesting take. But I, I don't necessarily think that's what King is doing here. No. No. And, and then the Alfred thing is just what, who thought that was a good. I mean, if I'm if I'm an editor too, I'm like cut that out, <laughs> change that in some way. Um, but apart from that, I kind of liked everything else. Like I I liked the Thomas Wayne chasing the villains around and eventually catching up with Kite Man and Scarecrow in the qu- kite quarters. I like this idea that Tweedledee and Tweedledum were too heavy um, for Kite Man to carry them with Scarecrow, so Scarecrow uses the fear toxin on them to make them drop off. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, that was a clever little bit. Um, that's, that's very much like a villain villains run amok in Gotham sabotaging one another type thing that I, I like when I like when villains team up and then sabotage one another. That's a, that's a, a story beat that works for me a lot when, sure. when writers pull on that. Um, yeah, and it, it's actually maybe the most interesting thing King has done with Kite Man. Yeah. You know, it is a small payoff for all of those unbearable Kite Man <laughs> issues. Hell yeah. Um you get you get Tom King doing his typical uh uh pinky in the air, uh look at how much I know about art or poetry or whatever, you know, yep. when he brings in the uh the lace maker painting. Mm-hmm. But again, I actually like that bit. I like the idea that that I like the idea that Catwoman Catwoman's solution to needing money to take care of Bruce is uh to steal a painting because that's what she's always done. And I like the I actually like and again, this is um you know, one of the few things that I've consistently liked about Tom King's Batman is the the Bruce and Selena stuff. And I like, I, I find Selena to be genuine when she says, Bruce, if you'd wake up, I I'll never steal again. You know, I think she believes it in the moment. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not. Yes. I'm not saying that's, I I know you're not. No, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. Yep. I, I think that's a, that's a thing that she would say. It feels, it feels true. So I didn't, I didn't hate this. I I don't love it, but you know, if every issue of Tom King's Batman had been about this level, I think we'd have had something here. Yeah. 
Um, a couple of things. Leave it to a CIA man to reference uh, JFK, where a <laughs> scarecrow says, "Is it safe?" So uh, you know that's a it's a JFK the Oliver Stone film reference. Yeah. Um, I thought the Captain Adam stuff read really poorly, especially when he's like, "I fought for my country against everybody. I fought with the league against everybody. It's tough and it's rough." Like this, like crybaby, I'm retiring. Shit didn't work at all for me. Did that work for you guys? Was that Rambo? No, no that was, was just that, me. Doing... Was that no? Was that Rambo when he's like, "It was about war." <laughs> no, it was, it was just me doing a dumb voice. But, okay. Uh, um. But that didn't that didn't ring true to me at all. Um, sure. Also, you know, and I don't want to go too deep into this because this is this is so this is so deep into the jerk off hand motion Hall of Fame here. But like, I don't want to talk about how Captain Adam is, and they even say like one of the strongest heroes in DC, and Gotham Girl just makes a fool of him. Like, if she's that powerful, why aren't they using her for more stuff? It just seems like they've said how powerful they said. Oh, she's really powerful, but to show that just seems very—I don't know. I, I also think when you make characters that powerful, it makes them less interesting. And Gotham Girl needs more pathos, not less. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why you would do that to her. But that's again, that's a conversation for a shittier podcast than ours. Um, overall, I felt like this issue explored decent ideas but did so in a very ham-fisted way which is sort of like the best issues of tom king's run i would say almost all of them still have ham-fisted elements but they're good ideas that are um that are sort of spoiled by his just inherent nature of wanting to write this type of comic um Mm -hmm. but i'll say i I, the bruce and selena stuff was fine i thought that the idea of Dick and Tim like being being lost and not knowing what to do in the situation. That part of it rang true. The Alfred stuff, not at all. But just, you know. And and Tim and Damien are, are always sort of the oddest of bedfellows within the Bat family, right? Because uh you know, Tim was was Robin and then Dick basically told him you can't be Robin anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Damien becomes Robin. And so there's always that inherent tension between the two of them that I think is is can be well done, but you know King doesn't particularly do it here. Sure. Um, so sorry, Tom King. Uh, <laughs> uh, Zach, you got anything else on this one? Mm-mm, no, pretty much covers it. Tony Daniel's have... art is Tony Daniel. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, he does. He I. I I don't know that I like the art technically, but I do like he brings he brings the bombast, whether it's earned or not. Like the art is clearly going for it in places. You know, when when Thomas Wayne bursts into a scene, it's like a big full page spread. You know, yeah, the same thing happened in the first issue with Gotham Girl and a couple other scenes where where Tony Daniels. Yeah, clearly going for it, even if the style's not my favorite. Yeah. Um, one last thing I want to say about this issue is is kind of a through line that I think we saw in a couple DC comics this week. That's kind of interesting to me, and that's to, again without without getting too far into it. I mean, I don't care if our listeners are mad, but like, I just don't need to go off on a rant. 
there's a little bit in that Captain Adam stuff about kind of the world as it is today, you know, where he says something about uh, Gotham's peaceful. That's all they care about. Not who's running it or how, not the bad being done in there. As long as they get to brag that the villains are gone, nothing else matters. That line, I, I don't know if you found that particular line to be hokey, Brian. No, I thought that line was actually pretty good. Yeah, to me that references a lot of like <clears throat> what we see regarding law and order in the year 2019. You it's, know, it's, where it's like it's all about the ends justifying the means. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And and that that idea will kind of come up once or twice again this week, but I just wanted to point it out here. And and maybe not talk too much more about it. <laughs> you know what I'm you know what I'm talking about, listeners. Yes, yes, they do. Um, let's talk about a comic that absolutely fucking whips, and that's <laughs> Doom Patrol: Weight of the Worlds number two, written by Gerard Way, <laughs> illustrated by Jeremy Lambert. I think Zach just died. I did while I when I read this book, I did. Yeah, because it was so good. Yeah, man, like, I am amazed at how just in these two issues um, that this creative team has just eclipsed the uh, the first Doom Patrol series yeah. in, like, such an astounding way, in, in a way that I wouldn't have expected to be to be possible, really. I wish James Harvey could be on this book every month. I know. Man, this is almost one that I could go page by page on. Ooh, shall we? I don't. Ooh. I don't. I mean, let's do it, baby. Okay, okay. <laughs> let's let's not. We don't have to like agonizingly pour over it, but yeah. um, the the intro section here is interesting. Only to me, to me, mostly because of the Doom Patrol TV show which has a scene that mirrors this like almost exactly. I mean, flex and, and uh, Jane aren't there, but just um, cliff reawakening, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. It's, it, it's really well done by James Harvey too. Yeah. yeah. I loved flex saying his name over and over again yeah. <laughs> in uh -huh. case he forgot who he was. <laughs> yeah. Um, the title page, the second page of the issue, mm -hmm. so good. Just the design sense there. Mm -hmm. The idea that, that Cliff Steele, you know, this isn't going to consistently be the way that he processes information or, or thinks about things, but that we see it laid flat across this, you know, in these big bold letters mm -hmm. that, that like, this is what's going through his mind as he's waking back up. It's really well done. It is. It is really well done. Uh, title for this issue is Space Divorce, which <laughs> will be a thing later. Which a character um, will yell later. Yes, it uh, will. <laughs> as if they are Beavis and Butthead yelling frog baseball. <laughs> oh, well played, my buddy. Um. I love this idea that the that the negative man what what is his name? They mention it several times in this issue. Larry uh, Trainer? 
No, no, like the actual entity's name. He has a name. Oh, yes. Um, ah, bah, 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 bah. Uh, like, damn it. It's like four letters and the two Keeg, middle letters. Keeg. Keeg, yes, yeah. So Keeg has has created this this new body for him that he had actually started on before Cliff became a human again. And so now he's getting to use it and he's like gamified it. Yes. Yep. It, it's it's achievements based, but it's it's based on doing nice things. <laughs> it's uh it's very much like um Animal Crossing or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or else I got like Scott Pilgrim vibes as well. Sure. Yes, uh, yeah. Cliff um, has has uh what is it uh unlock uh, the power of self respect. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I love how um, they're, they're mundane tasks that have nothing to do with the outcome. Either. Right, right. Watering a plant gives up, upgrades his boots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, let's see. Let's see. Um, uh, Larry Trainer gives birth to, to three balls of positive energy. <laughs> yeah, that grow feet. Yeah, and yes, then run legs. away. And run yeah, away. They, they run away. Um, pay off later. Pay off later. Uh, Casey and Fug are playing with uh, <laughs> John, uh, Bruce, Tim, um, <laughs> Harley, and Joker Harley, in yeah. the bathtub. <laughs> oh man. Um, in in a bathtub of like maybe disgusting. blood. Maybe blood, maybe like meat, meat, blood juice. I know I there was know. a lot of meat. There's a lot of meat stuff in that first. Uh, yes. Doom Patrol volume. Yeah. Um, we get a great page where Larry kind of talks about how his the time he spends uh, asleep in his alternate lives when he's uh, separated from Keeg, he he became so enlightened that he became unenlightened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is depicted like a comic book, but also like Ikea shelving. Yes. Yep. Um, which is an interesting idea. I don't know if Way and Lambert are trying to say something maybe about, you know, quest for knowledge and enlightenment or something. Um but either way, he's saved by uh, uh, his dog that he has found, Hank. Yep. Um, Hank the dog, Milwaukee Brewers mascot. Uh, by the way, my um, Mets are coming for your brew crew, motherfucker. Oh, I know. We're tanking. It's Packer season, baby. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Anyway, back to comics. Back to comics. Um, we get this ridiculous map of Danny Land. Oh, this oh is the this is the single best thing in a comic this month. <laughs> And that's including House of X. So oh, this is this is like Hickman stuff right here. Yeah. But there were so many moments of me laughing out loud reading this at work, trying to hide the fact that I'm reading a comic at work. Um, <laughs> you know, I just want to read this whole paragraph. Sure, Haunted Christmas Mountain has that charming, handmade Alpine aesthetic, but don't let that fool you. In the universe of St. Michael's Children's Hospital Jamboree Fighter Squadron, the hospital is situated at the foot of this mountain, and the mountain is haunted by the ghosts of the kids they couldn't save. Cruelly, there's a gingerbread house at the top of the mountain, which the ghost kids want to eat but can't, and they can't find their way back down the mountain either, so they're stuck in this house surrounded by gingerbread they can't eat. Honestly, the comic goes to some pretty dark places, and you shouldn't read it. (laughs) 
see Danny comics number 38 through 233. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I, I think the ones that I liked the best were in today land. So like the top right hand of the page, uh-huh. um, the two door clock exchange, a replica yeah. of a fancy Wall Street trading office in which two slick salesmen in separate offices buy and sell the hottest commodities on the market and try to make a killing. They have no idea that they're just selling each other the same clock over and over, which at this point is worth billions of dollars. <laughs> uh, which, again, is uh, so, not so subtle social commentary, I think. Right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I liked Normals, a restaurant where you go to watch couples argue with one another. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I also like the YouTube uh, yes. inf- influencers thing where they only have like three uh, phrases they can say. Yas, queen, same, and you, sir, have won the internet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and no one's realized that they're not real. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yep. Oh. What a great... Yeah, so much detail and thought that goes into that. If you're, um, if you're talking like bang for your buck, th- you could you could buy this comic, you could buy Green Lantern, which we'll talk about later, and you know if you're reading Hicks, Hickman's X Men, you could buy those three books, and that'd be enough for like a whole month. You could you could sit here and pour over these comics over and over again. Yeah, and that'd be enough. Yeah, and yeah. this page is just like perfect. Anyway, sorry, keep, keep going. We'll keep going. Um, so a, a few things kind of happen here. Um, Danny clues them in that they're, that they're needed to help with a, a case of space divorce. <laughs> Meanwhile, Lotion, the man cat, finds one of Larry's positive, positivity balls and eats it. Which, <laughs> as you do. you know, As you course. do. A cat would definitely do that. Um, especially a sentient man cat. <laughs> Um, we, we get to the space divorce trial <laughs> and I don't even know what to like say here. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, there's two, there's two living planets who are married and they're going through a divorce and they've, <laughs> yeah, you know, they were, they were trying to stick together for the kids, children planets that they have and it's not going so well. So, so Cliff Steele, attorney at law is going to help. My mother's which, favorite color was periwinkle. Yeah. <laughs> which, as far as I know, Cliff Steele is not an attorney at law. Agreed, yes. No, and, helping children upgrade flamethrower. Yep, of course. <laughs> naturally. Uh, um, they take the kids to Danny Land, which is just like, you know, when your parents are going through a rough time, you take the kids to Chuck E. Cheese yep. and makes everything better. Um. And I love how Danny Land at this point is fucked on positive energy. <laughs> yep. Um, thanks to Lotion, of course. Yeah, thanks to Lotion. Um, Lotion, speaking of Lotion, comes and saves the day because oh. he realized that the, everyone just needs... To be cuddled, essentially. To be cuddled. <laughs> yeah. So we get the, the best uh, splash page that is... Should I, I guess if you were reading it physically, you would turn the comic, uh-huh. you'd hold it open and turn it vertically. And I just want to read this <laughs> closer breathing. I don't know where your legs end or your fingers begin. 
this moment, your darkness, a giggle, a smile, your sky against my neck, my surface and your gravity, warmer, shifting and adjusting, squeezing and tingling. How much closer can I get before I pass through you, swimming in an ocean of your touch? These sounds become ours, and I'm pressed against your skin. Our hands entwine, our feet. Uh, oh no, it turned on me. Our feet caress, and I can. I can't help but think I could die this way. <laughs> That's lotion cuddling yep. with two sentient planets all of which are ripped and just got killer bodies um so lotion saves their marriage and then like basically hairballs up the positive energy yep onto larry and now he's the positive man yeah Larry Trainer, positive man, and I believe Keeg is still floating around as the negative man. Yes. Yeah. Bonkers. Yeah. Just easily the best comic DC put out. And I mean, at least on par with Hick Hickman X Men. Yeah. Um, very different books, but you know, as far as like pure enjoyment, I was I was rolling in it reading this. This reading this was like uh, doing a drug or something. Yes, <laughs> it, was, it was like snorting marijuana. I think I thought you shot marijuana. Yeah, you inject it. That's right. That's yeah. stupid. Stupid. You burn it on the end of a spoon. <laughs> exactly. All right. Anything else to add about this beautiful, beautiful comic? I mean, that James Hart. I, you can't. You can't say enough about that either. Like, man, he's good. <laughs> that Danny Land page is like. I mean, most of it is funny because of the the words, but like that design and the laying out the map. It's that's so him, uh, man. It's also. I don't know if you guys have been to a theme park in the last decade or so, but it's so perfect for, like, the map you get at Six Flags or Disney or whatever. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much going on here. I don't I don't see how anyone could not like this. Yeah, baby. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's take a little Thanks, break. Thanks, Austin. Yeah. <laughs> I tell this story on the podcast, so... Um, <laughs> The other night, so I, I tell my kids stories all the time, right? And they ask me to put, like, crazy characters in the story. And so the other night, my son wanted to hear a story about all the characters from the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And I can do a decent Mickey. I can do a decent Goofy. I can't do Donald Duck to save my life. So in the, in the fiction of the story, Donald Duck had a cold, and now he sounds like Austin Powers. So <laughs> I, just, I, just, I would do, like, you know, like, Gorsh Donald, and be like, what's wrong, baby? I just, I, just I just throw Austin Powers in there. And now my kids want me to do all the stuff in the Austin Powers voice, but they have no idea what that voice means. They just nice. call it, like, the sick Donald voice. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh... What I was going to say is let, let's take a break to smoke a cigarette after that uh, 
yeah. Hot Intercourse with Doom Patrol, and uh, we shall return momentarily. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with uh, Justice League number 29, Written by James Tynion the Fourth and Scott Snyder, illustrated by um, Bruno Redondo. Redondo. Bruno Redondo, yeah. I was, I, I feel like this issue didn't look like a typical Redondo issue, and I mean that somewhat positively. Uh, this is better than his his normal work he's been doing lately. Um, but yeah, what uh, this is a, a Jaro centric issue. I thought it was reasonably fun, but there are a couple of really nice moments here. I love sort of the petulant teenager Jaro we're getting right now. Uh, I believe he calls them, he calls the, the Legion of Doom turds at one point. <laughs> Just, For justice, you turds. Really yep. enjoyed that. Yep. Ja- you know, Jaro is delivering on the promise that teenage uh, Groot promised. Oh. But didn't really, you know, we didn't really get to spend much time with Teenage Groot, so. That is true. He's serving that role. Yeah, he is. Vince, what'd you think of this issue? I, on the whole, I liked it. Um, I think, now this is going to sound contradictory because... When Tom King did a <laughs> did a shameless recap issue, uh, maybe a month or two ago in Batman, we decried it. And this issue is, I would you know, if I have to throw a number on it, it's about thirty three percent recap. I would say it's kind of Jaro retelling retelling his role in No Justice for anyone who didn't read that or doesn't remember all the way up to now and how he got involved with the justice league and all that stuff. Um, at conceptually, I don't like a recap, but I did think there was enough new here by putting it in this humorous kind of self aggrandizing, uh, uh, mode that gyros in. I believe at one point he he self describes as a himself as a hero loved by all, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. And and the thing that this almost made the entire issue worth it. And I love that Snyder and Tynion, to their credit, got to go here in issue twenty nine of their big massive Justice League run. But the part where Bruce is giving Jaro the big speech at the end. Where uh-huh. he, he closes it by saying, we are all Jaro. <laughs> and ba- Barry Allen looks at him like, what the fuck? And Bruce is like, don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Let me run with this. 
Yes, that is so that is so perfect, and it's so perfectly executed by the writers and by Bruno Redondo that like any other misgivings that I had with this issue being a recap or maybe being a little exposition heavy as per usual were kind of wiped away and I was just charmed. I was charmed by the whole exercise, I think. There's one or two other little details uh, that I'd like to talk about and laugh about a little bit, but I want I want you guys to talk more generally about Zach, what did you think? Um, so I I liked everything related to Jaro specifically in this issue. I I had one main complaint with the issue. Which and is? that has it has to do with this kind of recurring conversation that we've had about the seven forces. Ah, yes, <laughs> yes, this is the part I want to laugh about. Yeah, yeah. Go so I would say those first three forces are ones that were clearly yes delineated over the course of the series and that we knew about, and they they were there. The other three, <laughs> I literally think that. that they made those up or they were they were in the series but to a degree but i i feel like they were just like snyder and Bird, oh crap i i said something about seven forces and i, <laughs> I, I gotta figure that out yeah. um, what the fuck it, is the black apple i don't know i think i really think that he made up the void wind in this issue um <laughs> yes it ends gods and snuffs out magic Black. They called it the void win. I, I some feel like... force, some forces they were just now giving names to. Literally, <laughs> literally, literally, Snyder and Tynion were just now giving names to. I love it. They they penciled it in. Uh, yeah, there's seven forces. We'll think of the other ones later. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, if that's not enough, they still only give you six of them. Yep. Because uh-huh. <laughs> then they go. Well, when, when he finds the seventh force, that will be enough to unlock the totality's truth. Like, they haven't thought of that one yet. Also, I have... I, at no point do I understand how Lex got a hold of these these six things. Um, you, you know what it screams to me? Again, pure speculation. I wonder if I wonder if some of this is, oh man, I'm really going. Scott Snyder uh, could probably call bullshit on this if he wants, if he, if he, if he ever hears this, but I almost wonder if the seven forces were meant to potentially pad out this story, depending on what's going on with the greater DCU. And so like, as, as they continue to clear up what's going on with doomsday clock, what's going on with um, rebirth in general, King's, bat run you know maybe some of the other books jeff johns may or may not be working on maybe some of the legion stuff like maybe that was just padding that they could kind of maneuver around if they needed a little more time right mm-hmm. if if that's not what it is that's kind of what it feels like sure it's very funny to me it oh. is really funny oh i was laughing my ass off especially when on that double page spread they say something at the beginning like these are the seven forces and then they name six and then they say ah whenever lex finds the seventh one like (laughs) 
you set it up as if you were going to tell us what all seven were. And actually, I think when they talk about the sixth note, they even say something like, and finally, the sixth note. <laughs> Which I'm sitting there counting. I'm like, no, that's six. <laughs> yeah. You it's know? even in the goddamn title. It's six. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let me talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to find exactly how that's worded because I, I did. And I finally, out loud. a force beyond imagination itself, the sixth note unleashed yeah, upon the world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That's 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 funny to me. <laughs> it's very funny to me as well. Um that that stuff made me laugh. The Jaro stuff made me laugh and cry. <laughs> um and and that kept this issue from being a, a throwaway. Also all <laughs> the most like secret origin y thing of all the the origin for why Starro's name is Starro because he comes from the planet Starro Star well, Zero well it was it, it was just the well no they like create this whole mythology of like zero worlds or o worlds mm, and yes. he came from an o world that survived and he was the like pinnacle of that world and so he Gotta became show my o world Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> uh, again, Christ. just, just, just the secret, the secret history. Yeah, they that, couldn't help themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but hey, I I had fun reading the issue. Like, yeah, same. Me too. Like, laughing at stuff like. Hey, you didn't even name the seven forces that you were gonna like. Right. To to me, that's part of the fun of comics. That's Zach. I don't, I don't want to blow you up here, but you used a word in your text regarding regarding some of these Scott Snyder books. Do do you? Can I use that or no? Mm, Would you rather no. I not? Okay, all right. It was well. It wasn't that okay. bad, but okay. No, that's fine. That's there, fine. Well, now I'm wondering which one you meant. So uh, I would say on the scale of the the three Scott Snyder books that we have discussed recently, you've got Batman Who Laughs clearly on the far end towards things I don't like. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Last Night on Earth, which is just like middling, you know, right there. I could I could take or leave it. It's fine. This is on the other end of the spectrum like this is this is fun this is goofy um i i like this yeah yep i think i think we're in agreement there yeah yeah absolutely all right um what do we have next boys we got a sinestro year of the villain number one uh with <laughs> I feel like we commented on who wrote this book when it was announced, and then I totally forgot who wrote this book. So, written by Mark Russell, illustrated by Yildirei Sinar, who has not done a DC book in what feels like forever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What was it? Like a maybe a maybe like a convergence one shot or one of those like a villains month or a zero month? Or... Yeah, that, that sounds about right. Something like that. I like his art a lot. I think he's great. Been a big fan of his for a long time. Um, so I thought that this issue 
was interesting in one way. I, I feel like with, with all the Apex Lex stuff so far, we've seen a lot of Lex and the Justice League and the, and the Legion of Doom rather sort of being in agreement about a lot of stuff and sort of providing a unified front. In this issue, you don't you see how utterly false that is and how Lex is really just in it for himself and is like, you know, pretty craven in how much he's in it for himself and is really quite dismissive of Sinestro here. And I was sort of expecting Sinestro to buck against his um, his command a little bit, but that doesn't really happen in this issue. But that said, I thought there was a lot of really good stuff here from Mark Russell. I really liked the sort of the the mechanism of how these uh, what are they called uh, paragons work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I liked the Sinestro's workaround to that. I thought all, I thought this was all very very interesting. It just wasn't sort of what I thought it was going to be either before the issue or when I started reading the issue. It turned into something totally different, which is good. I like being surprised by comics. I thought it was interesting that para- the characters were called paragons, and then they were they had the little microns inside them, and both Paragon and Micron are the names of characters uh-huh. of like su- of like superheroes or villains, but they're of no relation to these. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 I-, I was really wondering how like Mark Russell would handle a, you know, disposable superhero tie-in comic. Um, and-, and I would say like the first third of the issue is pretty bog standard. There's not much to speak of but then yeah he does his his mark russell thing where he gets into this kind of social commentary and causes you to question the nature of of faith and the meaning of life and purpose and capitalism capitalism yeah (laughs) and the media um all of those things which i i thought was pretty great um, um, also, we, I just like Sinestro, um, even though he is like a space Nazi. So, is it okay <laughs> that I like Sinestro? I don't know. Um, I don't know, buddy. I don't know. This is this is all fiction. It is um, all fiction. Sometimes he's a good guy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Sinestro is, I guess, one of my problematic faves for sure. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. But, yeah, no, I liked this issue. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Um, quite a lot, actually, yeah. Uh, I like to imagine the Paragons are uh, Jeff Bezos, and we're all <laughs> we're all the little microns powering his, his terrifying reign where he eats squid on his gigantic golden yacht. Um, and without him, would we even know right from wrong? I, I don't know. <laughs> That's some. Um, uh, no, I liked this and I hope, okay, I'll, I'll talk more specifically about the issue, but I do want to talk about kind of the mat from a macro point of view, the year of the villain tie-ins. I hope that they all take this same kind of tack. I, I was a little worried that it was either going to one ham fistedly retell you Sinestro's origin or something like that. Yeah, just just like a villain's month, because 
why not? They could be lazy and sell some comics, you know, and 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 not have to create too much new, right? But they didn't do that. It's completely it's a completely new story, um, completely novel to the idea of who Sinestro is. And I hope all the other creators who were involved with this project are as thoughtful as Mark Russell was in creating this issue. Um, the other kind of macro thing I like about it is you may remember, I think it was maybe at the end of the first arc of Justice League, of Snyder's Justice League, maybe the second, I don't quite remember. Remember when Black Manta had like a disagreement with Luthor and kind of abandoned the, the Legion of Doom? Yes. Mm -hmm. For a bit. Remember that? Okay. At the time on this show, I talked about how maybe that was a way to start to show the cracks that would later lead to the Legion of Doom falling apart or, or them failing because we had been led to believe, you know, that Doom ultimately wins or that the heroes fail, which, of course, you know, that's comics. You're told that the heroes are going to fail and then they don't, right? Right. But the fun, the fun part is seeing how that happens. And I thought then, like, a really interesting way into that would be if all these different heroes let their egos and whatever get in the way of this unified front and they slowly start to crumble that way. Um, I kind of mentioned that when we talked about the, the city of Bane stuff, I like when, I like when villains just can't help themselves, but to not organize and they end up backstabbing or falling apart or just having too much hubris. Right. Right. And you can see the beginnings of that. Brian, you brought up how, uh, Lex is kind of um, abusive to Sinestro, or not? Maybe abusive is not the right word, but like controlling, dismissive. Doesn't necessarily have the greater interest in mind, even if he says he does or acts like he does sometimes. Sinestro too can't help himself but to to essentially accomplish his task that Luthor gave him, but then keep a little paragon for himself to right. use down the road. You know. And it would be a real shame if that never comes back, if they never go back to that idea. But I have to think that in a future issue of Justice League, you're going to see Sinestro palling around with his big paragon, and that fucks something up, you know? Um, so I think the seeds are really that are being planted here are really interesting. Um, to talk about the specific issue itself and, and what I really liked about it, I like this. This reminded me so much of like a golden age uh, comic, maybe mixed mixed with some elements of the silver age, because like back in the golden age of like, you know, like the golden age Wonder Woman and Batman comics I've read, they would Wonder Woman would just come across an alien race that had never been mentioned in a DC comic before and maybe never mentioned again, <laughs> you know, it'd right. be like, a, it'd, it'd be a one-off story. These are the, these are the Lilliputians, you know, to, to pull another reference. Like she, she comes upon them. She has to solve a problem with them. And then she flies on to her next adventure. Right. That's what this is. Like Mark Russell just invents a new alien race or whatever they are. I don't know if they're aliens or robots or whatever, and Sinestro has to deal with this problem and then go on his merry way. And we may never see the Paragons and the Microns again in any, like, major way outside of this story arc, right? Right. 
So it felt very golden age in that way. But then it also, the design work by uh, Sinar really recalled Kirby to me in the way that these paragons were these like massive, chunky, like almost Sentinel, almost like X-Men Sentinel characters, you know? And then the little microns call, crawl around and there's this like hyper technology within them that looked very Kirby-esque. So it was like mixing, it was a very old school comic in that way, set right in the middle of this very modern new school year of the villain event, you know? And and for a one-off issue that has a bunch of social commentary in it too, I thought that was really, that was a conscious choice. Uh, the other thing that was very golden agey about it was that Sinestro solves the Microns problem in a very golden age way where like you see him looking at the Microns doing like sciencey stuff on a clipboard and they're going down a conveyor belt and he's extending their lives by 0.2 milliseconds using science. We're never told, but it doesn't matter. You know, it's, (laughs) we're just told that he does it and that's great. That's, that's, that's the golden age of comics in a nutshell. So um anyway i i'm gushing so somebody else talk zach go for it uh i really don't have that much more to say about it i kind of spoke my piece i liked it though more than i expected to yeah i i enjoyed this quite a bit i thought that sinar's art was really nice i think mark russell like you know, just the fact that, like Vince said, he introduces this this alien race we had never heard of before, and yet we all like have a stake in their well being now. You know, it's just it's really really smart. I loved sort of the the not the anti capitalist slant, but this sort of you know just judging capitalism slant that was taken there. Everything about it was just really really thoughtful, really different, and it gives me hope for these year of the villain tie-ins because we've seen a lot of sort of the offer tie-ins so far and those have not been all that creative in their approach to anything so um you know let's hope that this is uh a continued series of interesting issues as opposed to just these uh you know uncreative uh You guys know what I'm saying. I don't know why I'm struggling for these words. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anyway, that brings us to our final issue of the week, which is The Green Lantern, number 10, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Liam Sharp. Zach, you were chomping at the bit to get this one. So get to it, man. Go for it. I mean, this is just a perfect issue. I don't know what to say. Um, (laughs) We got a bunch of great Green Lanterns from around the multiverse. Um, We get Morrison picking up on some multiversity plot threads that I really never expected to be touched on again. Mm. Um, yeah. I want you to talk more about that when you get a, okay. Well, well, yeah, like specifically, well, one, one other thing that I did want to mention before that is, um, I, I think we had had some talk before, um, about whether or not this, um, anti-man is the same, like yellow lantern Hal from the first issue. And I, I went back and looked at how that character. And I do think that they are the same character. I think that he has just been like corrupted, corrupted and changed into this by the black stars. 
Okay. Okay. Um, because like in that issue, we see them doing surgery on him. Um, the the left side of his face has been disfigured. Like his whole left side is now like robotic. Um, I I think it probably is the same character only because I I think it's weird for Morrison to have planted that character and then not have it pay off towards the end of the series. Um, I believe they do say something in this issue about removing his heart, which is uh something they were doing in that first issue. So same. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, But yeah, no, getting into the multiversity stuff, um, going back to when the, the map of the multiverse was, released and there were um i think six or seven worlds that were um they were numbered but they weren't described Mm -hmm. Um, we we don't know anything about them um whereas everything else was kind of quantified and classified um and we actually it's seven seven unknown worlds um that are inaccessible unmapped and locked the monitors left no way to reach them um but then we actually go to one of those worlds in this issue which is i i just did not think that we would ever get that touched on um there's also some really great um multiversity and multiverse centric jokes um they talk about um earth one and i think somebody mentioned oh yeah um that nobody could agree who was Earth One, which is kind of a funny jab at how like the Earth One graphic novels work, yeah, um, yeah. because they're they're not supposed to be in the same continuity. I don't think, um, which is really funny. Um, yeah, I just I'm so glad to see Morrison returning to this stuff. Um, you know, he has the the cube that he introduced in. I think Action Comics. Um, I think you're this, right, yes. It was in that issue with the President Superman, I think was the first time that we ever saw that. Oh, my um, God. I knew I'd seen that somewhere before, but I could not could not for the life of me remember. Yeah, you, I'm pretty you're sure. You're right, yeah. Yeah. Um, man, just like, again, just Morrison doing what he does. Um playing on old DC continuity, picking up threads that he planted a decade ago and, you know, just picking them back up like it's yesterday and then just keep on keeping on with the things that have made this series great with its like pulpy sci-fi fantasy um, vibe. Uh, I love the, the beginning of the issue where we kind of are introduced to three of the multiversal green lanterns and they each kind of get a page dedicated to them um i love the green lantern alfred construct um (laughs) magic lantern is such like a cheesy stereotype of uh (laughs) of a stoner but i love it so much yeah Uh, yeah. he's he's, i believe he's fighting a blue meanie in that (laughs) in that page of his i think even yeah very beatles um green lantern bruce i don't approve of weed yes he's a narc he's a narc that's perfect oh but yeah i i've like gushed a lot about this what did you guys think oh i loved it i mean brian you talk first i talk too much you guys Uh, i feel like i talk too much but no i mean 
this was uh, <laughs> this was exactly what Zach said it was. It's so fun. What I love about this book, and I was thinking a lot about this book today. Be, uh, I just want to say just one thing: uh, that that Magic Lantern is wearing a to uh, turn on, tune in, drop out shirt that also has the Green Lantern logo on it, <laughs> which is yeah. just such a such a bizarre idea, but I love it so much. Um, no, what I love about this this book in general is that each issue feels totally self-contained and bizarre and fun. But as soon as you begin to think a little bit, what happened last month? It all fits together really beautifully. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about Hickman lately and how Hickman just writes comics differently than other folks do. And I think that this series shows that Morrison can write comics in a totally different way than what we're seeing today. But this is a very old school type of comic writing. You know, back in the day, there were lots of series that, I mean, I think most comics were written with the idea that a new reader could pick it up and not be totally lost. Now, that used to be accomplished by lots of, like, shitty exposition, you know. Here's Robin, my ward and sidekick, whose parents <laughs> died in the circus. Like, that shit happened all the time. But I think that Morrison finds a way around exposition, but still doesn't give you so much that if you just picked up this issue, you'd be totally lost. I mean, maybe some of the sort of broader constructs would be hard to come up with, with on your own but for the most part he introduces lots of stuff here that you can you can just you know relax for a minute and take a deep breath and then you're right there and that's so special yeah and liam sharp man every issue is so different than the last and equally beautiful and man he's killing it this guy was out of comics for so long what the fuck were we thinking I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Vince, talk uh, about this a little bit. Yeah, so I just have a couple of yuck yucks, I think. You guys you guys said it all. But, like, uh, one one thing that was funny to me was um, the – The idea uh, of crime? Yeah. <laughs> what? The idea of crime. It's funny oh. to me. It's kind. Of, it's kind of chilling. The Joker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the the flashlight of Earth uh, thirty six. Hank Hallmark. <laughs> yeah. I like. I like to think that's Hank Hill. Yeah. So he's like, "Damn it, Creepatron!" Damn it, Hale. Because <laughs> because Hank Hill, if he were a Green Lantern, he would carry a flashlight. You know. Yeah. And he would work for the custodian of the cosmos. <laughs> it just all fits. Damn it! I gotta find my flashlight. Um. Uh. So there's that, and then the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, this is another instance of, uh, Grant Morrison taking something that was in one issue <laughs> of a Silver Age Green Lantern comic, which was uh, Green Lantern issue 32, uh, back in the 60s, Marta the Strong Girl of Thrawn. That that whole bit with. Thrawn and Strong Girl comes from one issue, <laughs> and it's it's the backup story in the issue. So it's like a it's like an eight page it's an eight page long issue, and Hal shows up and he's like, "Hey, Marta, long time no see." <laughs> yeah, literally fifty some years or whatever it's been, sixty years. <laughs> um, that's just so wild to me. I just imagine I imagine Grant like sitting at home 
pouring over these old comics that that nobody has read or cared about in decades and like i'm gonna use marta i'm gonna use you know just just for just for flavor he's just like sprinkling that stuff in you know it's great um the the one other thing i i have a note on here that you guys didn't talk about was correct me if i'm wrong but earth 11 is the quote-unquote gender flipped earth i I think that's right yeah yeah i I believe so so the thing the thing that i like about that is that they got a distress call from star sapphire of earth 11 except i don't think we've ever seen star sapphire of earth 11 yet no i think you're right i I think we've only seen the trinity actually i may be wrong on that but we've seen the trinity and i think maybe one or two or three other characters were maybe made mention of because I think I, I looked at the multiversity or I looked at the, the DC comics multiversity map website and it gives you like a little list of, of the characters that are known to have existed there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a, there's a handful, but star star Sapphire wasn't among them. And I think it's funny that, that Hal or somebody is like Carol and someone else is like, yeah, yeah, Carol. But, I get the feeling that when they show up, it's not going to be Carol, like Carol as Star, O'Connor, as, as as Star Sapphire. Yeah, yeah, right. oh, yeah. It'll be Car- Yeah, right. It'll be um, Archie Bunker, Star yeah. Sapphire. So those were the days. Oh man, he was he was racist. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. Um. So I think that's interesting. I think that's a little kind of a setup to um something we're going to see in the next issue maybe when it it, it, it's not going to be a carol that anyone expects so yeah i i guess one thing on that and this is like kind of a small thing but we the cover says 12 parallel worlds 12 green lanterns um there's a, a page where they're all kind of around a table and there are nine of them and the the green lantern that is that is uh completely black but has the rainbow mohawk and triangle isn't in that page so i'm wondering if maybe she's one we'll get next issue which would make 10. Mm. um Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm kind of curious there but some some fun ones that are in that panel um that we haven't really mentioned there's the um one from the the green lantern from the the president superman world there's the batman beyond green lantern there's the tangent earth green lantern and i i don't know the one that looks like dr manhattan i don't i don't know what earth he is from oh yeah oh yeah that little one is the batman beyond one isn't it Right, that's the one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, the, the one sitting cross-legged on the table or float, like kind of levitating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is the underwear wearing Doctor Manhattan? Like, what is that? That's I not, don't that... know. I don't remember. It's not the Charlton universe, even mm-hmm. though that's true. Oh man, I have to go look through the guidebook again and see if see if he's in there. Yeah. So, have either of you guys read the solicitation text for Green Lantern Twelve? I have, yeah. It blew my fucking mind. Ready for me to read this, events? Yeah, yeah. Hang on, I have it right here. 
The Green Lanterns will fall. Insidious plans meticulously set in motion since issue one have reached their boiling point. As defeat looms for the core, Hal Jordan's showman, showdown with his monstrous antimatter counterparts sets the stage for the final pages of this issue and the moment that will echo through the entire DC Universe. How bad is it for Hal and the core? There is no Green Lantern number 13 next month, but writer Grant Morrison is crafting the next chapter of this story and is coming soon. Only there is no Green Lantern in the title. After the events of this issue, how could there be? Yeah, yes, I did. Uh, I did read that. That is incredible. I cannot wait. I love that we don't know. Yep. Ah, oh, man. Yeah. Is it going to be called the Daleks? Well, I was just going to say. I was. I was. I was going to read our. Uh, we interviewed Grant Morrison. Uh, a little while ago and this is this is what he said for the end of the i asked uh i know you can't spoil anything but if you could describe season two in one word what would it be and he said antimatter of destruction of all antimatter destruction of all known things the daleks uh the end of (laughs) all dc the end of everything the end of imagination season two and how yes 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 oh i'm slamming the table I hope I hope it's not I almost want it to not be solicited until we've read issue 12 which I know is not how comics publishing works. I wouldn't be surprised if you're right actually. That'd be great. I would love that. Because so that we know we know exactly what it is and then we have to wait. Yeah. Because they're taking a bit of time between the two seasons. Mm-hmm. And so you figure 12 comes out in October, I believe, right? Because 11th, yeah, October. Yeah. And so we already have the solicits for November, and I, I, I think this will probably come in January. I actually think if if we if we don't know it by the time of New York Comic Con, maybe we'll know it at New York Comic Con. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, this is a pretty good week of comics. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. So, um, I may have, I may have figured out who that Green Lantern is. Oh, who is it? I'm, I'm not positive. And actually, no, it is. It's the, it's the Just Imagine Stanley. Oh fuck! Yes, it is. Uh, Leonard Lewis of Earth. Uh, where to go? Oh wow! You're right. Earth. Six. I had yeah. that. I had that whole run at one point. This the Stanley creation thing. They See, sucked. I've, they I've were bad. Re- they were very bad. They were bad. Yeah. yeah. I've never read them. You're not missing a damn thing. Dave Dave Gibbons drew that issue. Yes, he yeah. did. Oh my God, that's why. Uh, oh, oh, it's blowing my mind. Ah. I want to read these. I don't care if they're bad. I want to read them. <laughs> I wonder if DC they're on DC Universe. I somehow doubt it. Uh, well, let's see. Hang on. And it is available. You can get the. Uh, you can. Oh my goodness! If you want to buy the hardcover from Amazon, the cheapest you can get it newer used is sixty dollars. Hmm. I'll. So, I'll... I'll find them someday. Oh, I know. Yeah, of course you will. In in a comic shop for nothing. Yep. 
almost like one big giant marketplace. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, as far uh, as I can tell, it is not on uh, on DC Universe. So, just uh, imagine Stanley. The it, paperback's only thirty five bucks. Oh well, there you go. That's a bargain. Yeah. Uh, by the way, for those that have not been, that have not gotten a DC Universe subscription, I, I'm not a shill for this. I just want to say, I feel like they've been adding a lot of really interesting stuff lately. And uh, you should definitely be checking it out. Cool. Yeah. Let's see. That uh, friend of the show, Walter Richardson, and I oftentimes will use this as the barometer for how much they're adding. Uh, we are now up to 20 issues of the 1999 Hour Man series. Okay. How many issues were there? Uh, maybe 20. Oh. <laughs> I'm not okay. sure. So they're done. <laughs> no uh, more new books. There were 25. 25. Okay, so, yeah. Okay, so we are 80% done of having the entire back catalog of DC, DC publishing. Well, like, the interesting thing about this is I don't believe that Our Man was ever collected digitally. So this mm. is showing, like, the real time how fast they're scanning stuff. Oh, so you guys actually are big-braining it. You're not, uh, you're not just blowing smoke here. No, I mean, I don't think it's, it's necessarily true across the entire board. But, like, sure, but there's, there's thought behind it. Yes. Yes. It's also a series that uh, Multiversity alum Chad Bowers would, told me many times is one of the most underrated comics in DC's history. Mm. So I've been meaning to read it, and uh, it sort of spins out of some JSA stuff, which I'll be reading either later this summer or early next summer for my Shazam read-through. So I'll get to this eventually. But yeah. Um, let's do our list before we get out of here. So... Uh, on the good list this week, we have Deathstroke, Harley Quinn, and Lois Lane. And uh, Zach and I have promised to catch up on Harley Quinn by the time it comes out next, so we can talk about it. Yeah. Um, on the OK list is Deceased. On the Sandman Universe list is The Dreaming. On the IDW crossover list is Batman TMNT3. And on the Walmart list is Superman Up in the Sky. <laughs> Breaking news, you guys. Wait, read it to us. Um, Zach's got to read it. <laughs> Who is Tempest Fugginot? <laughs> How Wally West Redemption and, quote, big event, end quote, in 2020 hinges on newish character. <laughs> They're really doing this. They're doing... <laughs> They couldn't just let it go away. They couldn't just let the new age of heroes go away. Sideways 2020. <laughs> this is Talos. Or Telos. Or what is it? Telos? No, T T Tempest Fugginot was from Sideways, though. No, I, I know, but I'm saying this is just Telos again. Oh, okay, okay. A character nobody cared about. And all of a sudden we got to make him this this the center of this big event. Oh, <sighs> they, they can't help themselves. And of course, Scott Lobdell is writing this shit because he, who else at DC is going to write a book with Tempest Fugginot in it? <laughs> uh, Dan DiDio, um, but he's Scott, not writing it. He's Scott ghost writing it. <laughs> Scott Lobdell will do, and he will He'll write you any comic 
that you want him to for five bucks. Unless it, I mean, unless it, fair, unless it defends the, the rights of women. Use Tempest Fuganaut, I would do it gladly. I would, I would maybe write it for free. <laughs> I'm howling. I can't believe this is. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, um, we didn't do this last episode, and we need to do this every week, so we have to look at what's coming up next week. Does anybody have this uh, pulled up yet? If not, I, will, I won one minute. I do have it, yeah. Ooh, Zach's got it. Okay, so we've got uh, Batman and the Outsiders, number four. Um... Uh, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trade pa- paperback uh, number two for uh, Jeremy. Um, uh, he probably is a hardcover. He's, he's waiting for the, he's waiting for the absolute yeah. edition. Yeah, the absolute definitely. Yeah, uh, Batman Re- Universe number two, Catwoman fourteen, Collapser number two, mm. Tac one thousand nine, Event Leviathan three, Flash seventy six, Hawkman fifteen. House of Whispers 12, Justice League Odyssey 12, uh, Supergirl 33, Superman 14, Titans Burning Rage number one. I'm pretty sure that is the Walmart. That's a Walmart thing, yeah. That's the Walmart thing. And then Wonder Woman 76. All right. When's that that, um, Young Animal Green Lantern book hit? I still don't think they've It hasn't been solicited yet. yet. Oh, okay. It, it oh, was announced geez. but not okay. solicited. Sure. All right. So, yeah. They they've been doing it seems like every month bring it like they're I, I think they're trying to make each month feel special. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that was like a November or December announcement, you know, announcement uh-huh. to, to be the big thing, so we'll see. Well, until next time, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an app. I'm at Walker Fox. Uh, you can find Vince scouring your local comic shop for a copy of Stan Lee's Just Imagine a Hardcover. And uh, until next time, Hale Morrison, Hale Hickman. Call 911, baby. <laughs>